Oh my God. Oh, hey, Susanna, is that, is that you? David, it's me. How have you been? Oh my gosh, I've missed you so. I know, I haven't seen you. What's going on? It's been a long time since we've recorded the last uh, episode of The Solar Spill, hasn't it? Yes, I miss being in this virtual space with you. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. It's great to to be a disembodied voice on a podcast again. Right? (laughs) Oh, fair podcast partner of mine. It's been it's been a lot. You know, we had the last episode uh, of the Solar Spill, which I loved, and we were coming right off of the heels of the Climate Action Film Festival, um, and I think just a lot of work got in the way. There's just been a lot going on. Uh, is there anything you want to catch me or the listeners up on in the intervening weeks since our last since our last episode? Can you hear the birds right now? I, I can. Like I have the window open. No, no, I cannot hear the birds. Okay. Okay. So well, the it's birds summer are now. Moving. Yeah, it's summer now. It's like almost. Birds summer. are chirping. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's been some um, drums in the solar industry around a tariff that was mm-hmm. um, kind of flagged as mm, maybe we should propose this tariff on modules that are coming from these other countries over here. I'm just kind of shorthanding this. Yeah. Um, but that's where a lot of modules come from. So a lot of solar companies were um, kind of put in this awkward situation where they weren't sure if they were going to have solid supply of modules going into the summer this year. Um, so that that has kind of rocked our industry. Yes. Fortunately, that has not affected us too much. But um, yeah, I'm that's, really... that's been a conversation in the out in the world. Oh my gosh, it's been like on my mind nonstop. And luckily, you know, our heads of procurement here at SunCommon have been doing excellent work, making sure that we have, <laughs> I'm actually in the office at the time of recording and I went into our warehouse and it's like brimming. And then our awesome, uh, one of our warehouse leads here in New York, Andre is like, hey, we actually have too many mods. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's a wonderful problem to have as the rest of the industry is kind of hamstrung and waiting for their next order. So yeah, I feel that privilege of um, you know having enough abundance at least here to serve our local communities in New York and Vermont as some common. That feels really good. But I actually, you're too, you're too humble. We we're going to get into that whole tariff thing in the in the episode. Uh, I want to just congratulate you on your new role, Susanna. You're technically Aww. no longer, uh, you know, my co-director of marketing. Can you tell our listeners about your new role? Sure. So um, Suncom has been embarking on diversity, equity, inclusion, justice work over the last, gosh, almost two years now. Mm-hmm. And we had been using an outside consultant. Um, but we decided a few months ago, we're going to try and bring more focus and more attention to having an internal DEIJ program, of course, supported by external um, experts when appropriate, but let's bring it in-house. Let's make it, um, you know, a real pillar of the work that we do and make sure that we're checking in on the metrics and um, really encouraging more people to be responsible for it by bringing it in-house. So we created a new new role. I'm, uh, I'm taking over director of values and sustainability um, that's my new title, and one of the things I'm be doing is heading up our DEIJ program, which is very exciting. Um, and I'll be working with our our colleague Jake Elliott on some sustainability projects, and we're also going to be doing some um, some interesting work with our mission statements mm. and watches um, lots, lots of fun, cool, interesting culture projects to kind of push our business forward in terms of how we work, not necessarily what we're working on, but 
how we're doing it to uh, to use our business as a, a force for good. That's amazing. And congratulations again. I, I want to say like my personal like value skin in the game. I'm so proud to have been, you know, your co-director of marketing. And I'm so, so proud of you for graduating into this role. I do consider it a graduation because when I look around, not just the solar industry, but generally the majority of the sort of corporate American experience, we came to uh, the the need for uh, DEIJ consultants around the same time that a lot of companies were considering that same uh, missing piece, which was around the uprisings and the murders of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, you know, kind of in the beginning, middle of the first wave of that pandemic, that horrible month of June, where it seemed like, you know, th these issues were kind of, again, like after decades and decades of these kinds of abuses, um, crashing yet again on our, our cultural shores. And what I noticed was a year after, there were like a bunch of studies about um, companies that basically were just like, well, well, that racism is solved and DEIJ issues are no longer important. Like, that's done. Glad we did that for a year. What I'm most proud uh, to, to sort of say as your colleague, as someone who worked closely alongside you in marketing and now had you graduate out is that like, it feels great that we're not, we're not only continuing that work, we're enshrining it in a full-time position with your position. So it's like, as you said, of course, you're not, you're not the ultimate end-all expert on it, but to have someone who's in the seat of making sure that this is enshrined in the way we work, it, it's really important to my values personally, and it makes me proud to work here because we're not just kind of letting it peter off. We're really uh, putting one of our honestly most talented workers at the company uh, you've touched, uh, you used to be a designer. You used to be a solar designer. You had your hands in CAD, Susanna. Like you've touched many parts of this company and maybe the theme of the episode is the Susanna show. No, anyway, I just want to say, I'm, I was proud, about to to say. <laughs> I'm proud to work alongside you. Congratulations on your new role. And thank you, thank you for making this podcast more than just a marketing exercise. I now have someone who is literally holding our mission and values work as my co-host of this podcast. That makes me proud again. So, really, really proud to to you know have my voice uh, with yours, uh, sharing this wonderful platform with you. And I'm also glad that you said that you know this work continues. That we're in fact indeed going to continue installing solar. That that's not changing because oh my gosh, ba, 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 ba. this is it. This is it. It's almost like you can't have an entire solution season. Where as a solar company, you're judging and being super and super judgy by the by. Super judgy. <laughs> on We've other proposed climate solutions. Yeah, we can't just be super judgy on other proposed climate solutions without turning that same microscope back on ourselves. So today, uh, in this episode of the Solar Spill Solution Season, we will be discussing solar. Spoiler alert, it's amazing. <laughs> Spoiler alert, it's amazing. But we're going to still try to poke some holes in it, all right? We will. We okay. will. We'll be fair. On with the music! What's going to happen if we ever change the, the intro music? Will I, will I stop doing that dance? I don't know. We'll, we'll just have to see. There's so many things we don't know about the world. Here. Good lordy. All right, so here we are. Solar spill. Uh, solution season. This is a really important episode today. We it are, is. We're talking about solar, so let's spill. What, Susan? 
Okay, this feels weird. Susanna, what is solar? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's, um, it is funny having this conversation with you because you already know so much of this, but I'll keep in mind that some of our listeners don't. Treat me like an alien. I just landed on Earth. I'm like, hey, what's up? Beeble blocks here. What's what's that weird? <laughs> what's that like weird thing on some people's roofs that make them seem to be so happy? About yeah, life? solar energy. Yeah, uses the sun and photovoltaic technology to produce electricity, and we all need electricity. You know, in our modern lives, it it powers our lights, the internet, very important uh, for some of us, hot water, battery recharging. Uh, more and more, we're seeing it also power heat and even our transportation, even cars and buses and trains um, and electricity. We don't like capture lightning bolts. It's made mostly by burning fossil fuels, um, burning coal, petroleum products, fracked gas, things like that. Uh, New York State has a head start in terms of mitigating these impacts because a lot of um, our electricity in this state come from low emission sources like hydro and nuclear. Um, A little less than half is still coming from fracked gas. So it's still a big chunk. Um, Vermont, on the other hand, they claim to have close to 100% renewable, but it's a little bit of a semantics game. Oh yeah, could you unpack that a bit? I actually was just in Vermont last week visiting our Vermont office, so awesome. But there was this kind of like conversation about like semantics versus reality. Could you unpack that a bit for the listener? Yeah, so Vermont is actually supplied by all the usual sources that all the states in the Northeast are supplied by. Um, Check out the link in the podcast description. You can actually go see what the mix is right now. Um, This mix is still more than a third natural gas. So that's pretty good. The majority is um, emissions free, but a third is still natural gas. Um, And then what Vermont does is they buy RECs, renewable energy credits from Hydro-Quebec and Seabrook Nuclear to write off um, those emissions. So on paper, there's no emissions. When you buy a REC though, especially one out of state, it means that you're just taking credit for someone else's clean generation. It's happening somewhere else. It's being used somewhere else, but you're taking the credit. So you're not really using the electricity yourself and you definitely aren't encouraging local creation or using of renewable energy. So may I ask you a question? You might not know, like, is that, does that actually net out to like a positive impact to fight back against climate change? Like is that a market that is basically trying to generate, you know, credits or interest in renewables as a fiduciary way of like taking a, you know, a foot off of the, sorry, pardon the pun, gas pedal. Like, are we, that was, I actually didn't, <laughs> did not intend that, but here we are. Like, are recs signaling? Are they sending a market signal? Is it really doing any good? Is it just sort of like kind of shooing away? the problem to some other state because we've talked about on previous episodes especially when we we're chasing the news cycle about like how a lot of these you know carbon producing sites tend to be you know geographically located in communities that can't really fight back that are underserved or underrepresented so like is this a net good are we just like kind of is it like a bad offset credit or is it like a good offset credit <laughs> yeah i mean i think you can argue it either way when somebody's selling 
the renewable energy credits for their project, it's making it more financially feasible for them to have that project. And it therefore can be an important part of the financial picture um, for people and organizations to commit to doing these projects. However, what is kind of tricky about the whole thing is that if you are making renewable energy, you're often taking credit for using that renewable energy, even if you sell the rack. And certainly you're, you're being given credit for people who don't know anything about the situation, right? If they see, you know, this isn't typically what happens, but like, if you see someone with solar on their house, you're like, cool, they're using solar energy. You don't know that they've sold the rack, you know, so that technically they can't claim credit for that. What we tend to say is that the best way to support renewable energy is by building that infrastructure locally and using that energy locally. And there is, um, there are certainly mechanisms by which you don't have to install renewable energy on your property. For example, community solar arrays, they allow you to take the credit for the production happening somewhere else, but it's not quite the same thing as a rec. It's more one-to-one and it's a lot more local. The key thing that like when we're creating these systems, we want to make sure that we are encouraging local renewable energy production and consumption. Got it. Got it. Think about it. If somebody's making renewable energy in Nevada and I just pay them to take credit for it, it am I really right? Are you really? Yeah. That? You're not shutting down a coal plant. You're not like cutting down carbon in your local community. You're just kind of offsetting the the paid source of that of that energy. Okay, so it's an imperfect solution, but it's one that sends at least a market signal and allows for some, or I don't know, some profit for renewable. Yes, I mean, it's a long nuanced conversation. We could spend an entire- <laughs> Yeah, probably. Well, we're not actually here to talk about RECs, right? We're talking no. solar, right? What is solar? Yes, yeah, so what we're talking about is what is solar. And the point here is that we use a lot of energy and we are not 100% renewable in either state. Right. Uh, and as we electrify more and more things like heating and transportation, our need for electricity is just going to grow. And it's really important that we make the cleanest, most emissions-free electricity that we can. And what do you know? Solar is a great way to do that. So on to impact. We touched on it a little bit. It's a lot, right? We power a lot of stuff with electricity. In New York State, according to our 2021 greenhouse gas inventory for the state, 76% of our emissions, so three quarters, are coming from energy, combining all residential, commercial, and Ooh. transportation emissions. Wow. Okay. Wow. That is giant. 76%. Our current electricity, like just for homes, is much less. It's like single digit percentage points. Oh, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. But what we're talking about here is converting a lot more to electric, right? We're talking about converting heat and transportation. So when we add all of that together, it's three quarters of our energy needs That's that huge. we could be impacting. Absolutely. So that's huge. That's a huge potential for impact. Cool. Yes. So that's mega impact. Um, but just how good is solar? So <laughs> once again, here we are advocating for buying something new. When should we really be using new systems? Should we right. be making new infrastructure? Couldn't we just be using less? Or we say this on the podcast all the time, like, if a solution is to buy something new, might not be as great of a solution as they're saying it is. Totally. So this is this like a, a hole in the impact of solar? Like what is the sort of impact of creating new solar or how does that figure into the overall equation? Yeah, I think it's a really important question to dive into. Um, creating solar panels does create 
environmental impact. There's no getting around that. There's a carbon footprint associated with creating them. I mean, to make a solar panel, you're talking about running a giant furnace and melting down silicon. Like it's an energy intensive process. Then you have to ship them because they're usually not uh, made where they're going to be installed. So you have to ship them and they have minerals and materials that have to be mined. So it's definitely um, energy intensive and carbon is created. However, experts agree if you compare that to the carbon footprint of extracting and burning fossil fuels, there is no comparison. So yes, there's a footprint, but it's nothing like compared to fossil fuels. Solar panels, environmental impact is 1 20th or 5% of what it takes for fossil fuel systems. Oh my gosh. Amazing. Most research says it takes about one to three years for a solar panel to generate enough electricity that it has offset the emissions that it took to create it. And there's that big of a range because a big part of the carbon emissions for a solar panel is a, how is the factory powered that's making carbon emissions? And some of those are powered more cleanly than others. And how far away um, are they coming from? So the distance could be larger, it could be smaller. So there's a pretty broad range, but after one to three years, your emissions footprint for your solar panel has been uh, burned off. So insanely efficient when you really think about it. These panels are lasting, you know, 25 years, 30 years in optimal conditions. So it's like, come on, the value proposition is there for impact. That's awesome. Yeah. Plus, you know, as more factories start to run on clean energy. And as more transportation starts to run on clean energy, as we localize production, the emissions of the whole process of creating solar panels will come down. So it's almost like we're kind of at a worst case scenario right now. But as clean energy transitions throughout more of the world into more systems, it's going to get better and better. And worst case scenario might be strong language. They're like, least efficient case scenario. Thank you. It only gets better from here if we continue to invest. The, the technology is a commodity now. It's getting cheaper and more efficient as we go. So I love the idea that we're like, not necessarily worst case scenario, but like it's only it's only downhill from here or it's only up from here or whatever. I'm mixing all these metaphors. Down and uphill. Down yes. and uphill at the same time in the snow, both ways in bare feet. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I'm old, Suzanne. I'm old. Yes. No, you're not. Okay, so like impact seems, at least to me, even from the posture of trying to poke holes in it, in terms of like, you know, minerals that are being mined, transportation, which is a huge key, manufacturing, which is a huge key factor. I still think one to three years is a pretty dang good grade for impact. You know, that's that's huge. If we could kind of consider the technology itself in a vacuum, like it's incredibly efficient, incredibly impactful. I would feel comfortable giving this a high mark for impact. Yes, absolutely. Cool. Um, about there's a, very, yeah. I don't know any other technology that could say it, it uh, offsets its own carbon footprint within one to three years. Yeah, no, no way. How yeah. about time? Time's our next factor that we consider with these solutions. Time, time, time. Time, <laughs> time is waiting in the wings. Yes, our current goal in New York State is generating 70% of electricity from renewable sources by 2030 and achieving carbon-free electricity by 2040. And this is a timeline we can work with. Um, it's going to be hard work, but we can do it. Homeowners can make the change today 
almost everyone in New York and Vermont can go solar either with on-site solar actually at their house or community solar, which is panels that are um, hosted off-site in a bigger array that you can subscribe to. You know, this is not some new or unproven technology. This is not sale freight, right? My beloved sale freight. Um, this is not being still developed by uh, mega corporations who think, well, maybe it'll be a good idea. Yeah, it's the here. Only thing that you're more passionate about than sale freight is trees. Yes. Trees. <laughs> <laughs> the solution season has like a couple of Susanna highlights and trees among them. Yeah, but yeah, yeah no, this is not carbon capture technology. No. Oh gosh, no. <laughs> the technology's here now and it works. It's it's so great. And it's like, well, we'll get into it with cost, but it's also already incentivized. It's really beautifully incentivized generally, federally and in most states. Yes, it's reliable, it's clean, it helps us be more resilient. The crit the grid is really undergoing a transition to many small power plants right now instead of big fossil fuel ones. And that kind of independence makes us more resilient. In the future, we probably won't have massive statewide outages because we'll have small solar power plants on roofs and in neighborhoods in these community solar arrays all over, which is pretty cool. Any sort of pushback from the time perspective that we can think of? I mean, by time, I think like, you know, the tariff conversation that we brought up in the intro, we we're just sort of catching up, that has created a slowdown for most of the industry. You know, we're very, sometimes in a very privileged position to say that we're not slowed down by that because we got a combination of skill and luck. We had a bunch of orders already placed. Um, we've had a very strong couple of years, so we placed some big orders. But like, yeah, this tariff situation, which basically, you know, a whistleblower American manufacturer, solar manufacturing company said, hey, we have evidence that, you know, the components of these panels that were being purchased through South Asian companies are actually sourced in uh, China. And we in America have lots of tariffs and restrictions on goods that can come out of China. So this investigation, literally just the, just the thought of an investigation that involves tariffs that could go from the realistic 10% uh, cost addition to buyers in America to the ludicrous 200% retroactive, which I, currently doesn't look like it's going to happen, has had a chilling effect on most solar installers placing new orders. So the like the mods, the modules are still there. The panels are still there waiting to be purchased. There's just been a bit of like a, at least a Western American slowdown in purchasing them or ordering them. So there has been something of a, a chilling effect, which I think is beginning to thaw uh, because there was a public hearing just this past week at the time of recording where the Department of Commerce in the US is like, look, we're taking a look at this really quickly and it does not look like the worst case scenario. If anything, we're gonna be applying like a little tariff here and there, may not even be retroactive depending on what we find. We might even drop the tariff altogether because it seems like it's useless when we have these clean energy goals. So the, the, the headwinds are starting to look more like tailwinds. We'll see what happens, but it did create a bit of a slowdown. I don't think that's actually stymied demand though. I think the people that are ready to go solar are like, still raising their hand. So that's a positive thing. I think if this tariff situation can get worked out relatively quickly, like before the end of this year, I think we'll be back on track in terms of our industry's speed of install and ability to sort of service folks. Yeah, I think you're right to point out um, that we do need to ding time a bit just because there are global supply chain issues and 
you know, sure, maybe this one looks like it's going to be okay, but what's the next one going to be? Like, what's the next pandemic? <laughs> what's the next, like, gigantic ship caught in a canal for days and that becomes... Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. When the halcyon days of being trapped at home when a ship was a metaphor for all of our lives, stuck in a canal. <laughs> yes. Great. And that's massively privileged of me to say because I did not have to work an essential job. So let's talk about cost. Money, money, money. Money. All right. Cost. That was amazing. That was... I can't believe we haven't done that on any of the previous podcasts. But, and if we did it again, it wouldn't be a special. But we're not, I guess we're going to just do this again now. We're going to do this in every episode. Oh, no. Cost. Hit me with the cost. <laughs> um, well, let's see. For the average homeowner to make the switch in Vermont and New York, you're generally saving money. So we're pretty much beyond grid parity. Um especially for roof systems. There, there are more expensive systems where that might not be the case, but in general, you save money when you go solar. And when you install solar, you're basically pre-buying 25 years of electricity because that's sort of the warranted life of the system. So if you think about, okay, I'm taking this money, uh, I'm going to buy 25 years of electricity with this. So take your electricity bill, uh, multiply that by 12 months, right? That's your bill for a year. Multiply that by 25 years. It's a huge number for a lot of people. That's fifty thousand or sixty thousand dollars or more. And consider that that amount actually goes up every year. You know, three to five percent in some cases. It goes uh, up every year, so it's actually even more than that. Or if you know some foreign power decides to invade a sovereign nation, it can skyrocket. You know, we're yeah. actually in New York. The projection for this summer is a twelve percent increase. Twelve percent increase. Oof. Yeah. better get out the kiddie pool because we are not turning on the ac is that is that that's rough it's everything sounds rough in your house right now yes (laughs) come over i've got solar installed just bask in my ac my smug solar superiority has thank god i have a friend with solar i'm kidding we actually have community solar yeah you do but um but yeah i mean think about that like that's a ton of money and we don't think about that money because you don't pay it all at once. Um, and we don't think about it as like, well, I'm going to pay this money. But the truth is that you are going to pay that money. Um, that's money that you're spending, no matter if you choose to go solar or if you don't. So um, solar costs a lot less than that. You know, for the average homeowner, it's going to be between, you know, $15,000, $20,000. Like it's a lot, lot less than what you're actually going to spend on fossil fuels over 25 years. So if you can write a check for that, great. If you can finance that, great. You're after the races. That's basically a bill swap. Yep. Get the bill swap plus the incentives, right? You're still buying Mm -hmm. when you finance it. So it's like, I I know we've got like a multiple shades of, you know, loans here at Suncommon, but like I've seen a variety of them that go from like life of system to like 12 years to seven years, like there's options for sure. Yeah. Um, And for folks who don't own their site or uh, who don't want to do the financing or can't qualify for it or don't want to write a check or don't have that cash, um, community solar is also a great option um, where you don't have to uh, get locked into any long-term financial commitment. It's, It's like a subscription, just like you subscribe to internet or cable. Um, And you still get a little bit of savings and you get to support clean energy. So in terms of cost, if you are paying a utility bill, then you generally can also pay for solar. 
Yeah, it sounds like a really strong argument. And it's one that's become more and more real to me. Like I, the way that I approach marketing is I'm like, you know, of course, embellishment, of course, narratives, of course, like storytelling is lush and rich and real, but I'm not a liar. I never have been and never will be. And there was this really interesting debate that we were getting into just two weeks ago about whether we should bring back an old tagline that we used to put on our company cars or our vehicles, our fleet, uh, which was save money, go solar. And the level of scrutiny and discussion that we had in-house before we could approve that that line could be used again was really awesome. It was like eye-opening and it was great to kind of prove it out on paper to be like, cool, let's look at the life of the systems we've installed so far. Let's look at the general costs of living and costs of utilities and the zip codes that we're servicing. Not all of them, just like took random smatterings. And we were like, yeah, like generally speaking, if you, and, and this is the caveat, like if you can afford to go solar, it's going to save you money. So nested within the cost accessibility is kind of a bit of a, a ding. It's a ding that's bigger than solar. It's a ding that's how we finance and how loan and credit works. But generally speaking, the, the labor tends to be more expensive than the objects that are being installed on your roof. And that's a positive sign. You know, we're in a commodity business and it's getting cheaper. So as efficiencies grow, and I think as the imperatives for getting solar on more roofs, like if the utilities start going to a place where like every roof needs to have a certain amount of solar on it, you're going to see the accessibility from a cost perspective. Like you're going to see the barriers disappear because I think it's the, the last bastion of like, you know, pure profit based motivation for these kinds of systems is like, we're making money, of course, but like it's cheap, it's accessible. The barriers seem to be loans and home ownership and things that are bigger than just the industry itself. Okay, so cost feels generally good with a little bit of a ding. Let's land this plane, Susanna. Like, are there any X factors that we should be considering outside of impact time and cost? The way that we have been talking about it is largely how we do solar today, which is people raising their hand and opting in. Um, which is okay, but really, you know, something that we talk about on the podcast all the time is that for something to be a real solution, it needs to be systems level. It needs to not be a choice. It needs to just be what's there, what we're all using. Um, and right now solar is still opt-in. So um, it is possible for us to get to that place where solar is just the energy that the utility provides but the grid needs to be updated to handle all these little power stations and it needs more storage capability. We need a pretty massive shift of capital away from fossil fuels and towards renewables. And of course, the people who are already invested in fossil fuels and making that money, they don't want to give up that position of um, power or financial gain lightly. So the fact that this is not yet a systems level change i think is a is a is a ding okay that's a and that's a good ding it's it's actually like an interconnected ding too because there's so many notes peppered throughout our conversation that i think feed into the opt-in mentality like now as, as i'm saying in my third year of marketing solar i realize that like i'm not suncommon is not competing with other solar installers like there may be one or two customers every now and again that's like beat this price or can you install this faster or why don't you have this you know, battery solution and not another one. Those are fewer and farther between. I think what we're really fighting is inertia. You know, 
that fifty, sixty thousand dollars of total, you know, utility costs that we can like guesstimate for most American households, like because it's metered out, metered out in such like a piecemeal way, because truly the most inevitable things in our life are death taxes and utility bills. Like we just kind of don't make the switch. That opt-in is a huge psychological barrier. My entire job really is you know, creating demand is getting people off the couch of their mind and into a relationship with a solar home advisor who's just like, look, this just makes sense for you. Like it's going to save you money and you own it. Go. Right. So I get it. But the opt in is a huge factor. So I know that you're arguing for totalitarian rule right now and that we're just going to. I'm just kidding. I'm totally yes. kidding. Fascist Suzanne. Everyone no. bow down to the solar queen. Well, I think in a way, you know, we have stuff. <laughs> that was a joke. Like, no, of course, yeah, it was. It was a joke. But what I'm saying is like we have we talk about these things on a governmental posture uh, through a series of carrots more often than sticks. You know, when the federal government tries to brandish a stick, it's called nanny state or socialism or they're taking away our this or our that and it, that's a and i'm saying that's a both sides thing there's versions of that argument that sound blue and that sound red it's just about you know the unpopularity of being told what to do in america i think there's something about our sort of national personalities our weird individualism and exceptionalism that prevents us from being told what to do and Something like Build Back Better was loaded up with carrots and very few sticks and still didn't find purchase. So I'm, you know, I do think that that's a big X factor in America. Like just the sort of the, the real interplay between the individual individualism and exceptionalism and how politics responds to those narratives. The NIMBYs have so much power and that's what's kept so many CSAs from being installed around communities that need them, that would actually have fewer brown and blackouts if there were local power production happening that was feeding their trans, their local transformer with more energy. It's really like an attitudinal change. And there are definitely competing theories of like, you can legislate society change and that you can society change legislation. There's been examples of both, but something is needed and I don't know what that answer is, so it's a wonderful X factor. I totally agree with you. The opt-in and the politics mix. But let's unpack storage a bit. Storage is needed to, to make this real. How is this an X factor? Why can't we just have, you know, just bigger solar plants? I don't know. We don't need electricity at night, do we, Susanna? <laughs> well, some of us do. <laughs> um, yeah, solar definitely has a few issues if we think about wholesale grid conversion, especially up here in the Northeast, because we make a huge amount of energy in the summer and not so much in the winter. And of course, none at all at night, but we still need power at night, um, especially as we start using electricity to heat more and more. We're going to need power in, in winter and at night. So um, storage is the main answer here. Thankfully, lots of utilities agree and renewables like solar and wind only really work at a grid type scale with massive storage as well. So we're actively working on that. Um, we've seen lots of utility companies in Vermont, especially do these really cool pilots where they're kind of creating these little microgrids that are super resilient because lots of homes have uh, storage on site. If you're a homeowner today who wants to go solar, you can also get a battery. You can get a storage system and be part of that forward-looking solution, um, but you don't have to. You know, you can just get solar if you want. 
But storage is really critical when we're talking about the wholesale grid-wide change. And again, it can't just be individual homes getting storage and getting the battery. We need to think about storage at a much, much bigger level. Okay, that makes perfect sense to me. Yeah, your town needs a battery more than your home needs a battery in the future of this like electrified grid. That that makes a lot of sense. Well, and you know, when we say battery, a lot of people think about like a lead acid car battery. Oh but yeah, yeah. In some cases, what and in some cases we are talking about something that looks very similar to that, or you know, it's just a bit bigger, but it's the same kind of idea. But in some cases, we're talking about uh, like a system of water and hydro generation where we are pumping water up to a higher reservoir when we have a lot of spare solar energy. And then when we need more power, like in the winter or at night, we're running that water through a hydroelectric system to generate that electricity again. So like, that's kind of the scale of storage we're talking about here. It's not just a car battery and a golf cart. We're talking oh about, you know, like think of those, like I, we're talking about massive infrastructure storage projects. You just blew my mind that like, we can basically have a Rube Goldberg of sustainability, like that, like solar is going to push the water up to the reservoir and we'll save it for when we need to let that water down when solar ain't working just got me so excited because it's so practical it's so practical and so redundant we've been irrigating since we taught ourselves to learn how to grow food and stop running after the gazelle like we we got this okay i wanted to end on a little bit of optimism but let me let's try to like like i said let's try to land this plane because i think the x factors that we've brought up are Definite not. If I could just kind of look at solar in the vacuum of its impact, time, and cost, I would, and I mean this, I mean this with the full subjective understanding that I work for a solar company, but trying to be objective to the rules of the solar spill, I think it would get very high grades just on the strength of its own technology. It can be implemented now. It can overpower American homes. It can overpower American fleet transportation. It can provide power for communities. The things that are in the way, however, are definitely X factors. So when we consider them all together, I'm, I'm pulling this out of my brain. We haven't pre-talked about this. I'd say in a vacuum of just itself, I would give solar like an easy A, like a full on A. It doesn't work at night. Can't be an A plus. Sorry. <laughs> um, but I do think that with these additional factors, I'm playing with like a B plus to A minus area because it's like real. It's accessible. There's like micro slowdowns on time right now, but it's cost effective. It's incentivized already. So you be my tiebreaker between a B plus and an A minus. And please be fair. Like, let's do the job to the solar spill right, not just for like our jobs at Sun Comet. Yeah, no, I agree with you. It is. I think the technology itself is incredibly elegant. Um, and I think one of the, you know, stats that get thrown around the industry is that enough sun falls on the surface of the earth every day to power our world for more than a year. Obviously we're not putting solar panels all over the surface of the earth. Like this is not a literal metaphor, but. Fascist Susanna. <laughs> yes, but that, it just, it just illustrates like we have an extremely abundant and sustainable energy source that in fact, the entire planet runs on. Like every single plant is using the sun as their energy source. And then animals come and eat those plants. You know, like that is, the sun is what is doing it all for us. So it just makes sense for us to figure out a way to harness that energy to power our lives as well. And we have the technology. We have ways to pay for it. It's here today. It's, it makes us resilient. It makes us independent. Like tick, 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 tick. 
A, yes. Also, we didn't start out like we all this, although the photovoltaic technology has been around for a long time, we haven't invested in it as the main way to generate energy. And therefore, we have a lot of work to do on our infrastructure, on our grid, on how we store it. Um, And those are still kind of bigger question marks that we have to solve on a systemic level, you know, like that systemic X factor is real. So, yeah, I agree with you. I think it's challenges that we can face and that we are facing actively. Again, it's not not in the realm of the carbon capture or um, my beloved sale freight where it's like there's a lot of big question marks. There's a lot of really solid reasons that solar will work and we are actively working on the challenges. So yeah, B plus A minus, I would agree. Okay. Yeah. Sweet. I like that. We're kind of in between grades. It's a good B plus A minus. And honestly, here we are, Sun Common, talking about the solution, which is solar. And to remind our wonderful listeners, we are here in New York's Hudson Valley and Capital Region, as well of the state of Vermont. Uh, We install solar on your roof ground mount we also have our own beautifully timber frame sustainably sourced canopy uh, with bifacial mods and we do the tesla solar roof as well as storage solutions you can hit us up at suncommon.com and if you've got thoughts questions concerns ideas for the solar spill we've got an email address it's solar spill at suncommon.com so for anything and everything solar i'm tavit i'm Susanna, and you've been listening to the solar spill solution season Next time, listener. Cheers.